Welcome back to season four of the Morgan Stanley Ideas podcast. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. On this season, we're taking a look at the future. We're looking at how the things you do every day will be different 10, 20, 50 years from now. But today, we're actually taking a step back 50 years in order to look ahead. On this episode, we celebrate the anniversary of the moon landing by peering into the future of space. We're in the port of Grays Harbor in Washington State, overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Attendees of the annual Pirate Days Festival walk along the shore dressed as Blackbeard, wearing eye patches and carrying cutlasses. Fishing boats laden with crab pots sporting names like Hawk's Nest and Raven Dancer line the docks. An optimistic seal swims by, waiting for the returning anglers to throw them a scrap. Near the end of float number five sits the fishing vessel mistress, where our producer was invited aboard by Chris and Libby Kane. Yeah, I'm proud of this boat. Chris and I, we decided to be in this life together and everything that we have on this boat, we've, we've built ourselves. Um, we got a lot more work to do, but that just comes in when we get the money to do it. Chris and Libby Kane have owned and operated this fishing vessel as a couple for nearly 20 years. They've battled storms and poor fishing seasons on deck while raising a family on land. We managed to catch the canes on one of the few days they aren't out at sea. So we're currently fishing up our Dungeness crab season, and we are heading towards our albacore tuna fishery. Um, In about two weeks, hopefully, we'll start harvesting, and it will go until September. Sometimes it has lasted until the second week in November. Albacore is one of the most sought-after fish in the sea, but fishing for albacore is no easy task. They tend to stay over 100 miles from shore, and it often takes days to locate a school of fish. And once the canes find the fish, their work is far from done. And it's mayhem, it's chaos. They're hot, they're moving fast, their hearts are pumping, and and when they hit the lines, you're in a fight. Some of these fish are, you're, you're burning your hands up. But even after the canes find the fish, catch them and bring them back to shore, the couple is still worried because for the past several years, albacore fishing has been tough. And they fear this might not be a passing phase. U.S. regulations prohibit the use of nets when targeting albacore. Net fishing sometimes traps other animals like sharks, sea turtles and dolphins. But while the canes may follow the rules, using only lines and hooks to catch fish one at a time, many don't. In 2016, an estimated $500 million of tuna was illegally caught in the Pacific. And this has had a detrimental effect on commercial operations like the canes. Next thing you know, we're sitting at 80 cents for our fish, and that's we cannot make money at 80 cents. That is just, we're trading dollar for dollar. And, you know, me and Libby are fortunate enough that we're together. But even then, is it worth the time on the boat away from home when these guys are flooding the market with these illegal fishing practices uh, and lowering our price? And, and you know, we're going to limit it ourselves and the rest of the world is not. So and that, that's what makes this hard to manage. The Canes aren't the only people worried about this issue. Marine biologists around the world are raising concerns about our ocean's ecosystems. There's the lack of accurate fisheries data, the impacts of illegal fishing, and the dearth of protected areas. 
Looking out at the water, we might not be able to see these problems, but many experts fear they're already affecting not only our oceans, but our economies too. To solve these challenges on the high seas, we may have to head somewhere unlikely. Space. 50 years ago, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. This small step inspired a giant leap forward in technology that, whether you realize it or not, changed all of our lives. But what will the next 5, 10, even 20 years of space exploration bring? In this episode, we'll focus on a revolutionary technology that will not only help people like the Canes protect their livelihoods, it has the potential to confront some of our planet's largest problems. On today's episode, we're looking at satellites in space, how they're propelling the new space economy and helping rewrite the data ownership and access landscape. We'll go beyond the confines of the atmosphere to explore how these satellites are addressing some of the Earth's most vexing problems. The space program, many have argued, started when the first ping of the Sputnik satellite was detected. And we realized that we were losing the space race at the very beginning of the race. With the launch of the Apollo program, it was meant to address a real issue of national security, which in the 1950s and 60s created an atmosphere of fear. And perhaps at the same time, that fear was joined by, wow, we're really, we're really doing this. Anything's possible if you get the right people together and are willing to take the risk and willing to manage that risk. This is Morgan Stanley's resident space expert, Adam Jonas. While Adam's official title is managing director in the equity research department, he's also a self-proclaimed emerging space geek. He, like so many other people who were enamored with Neil Armstrong and his first steps on the moon, is fascinated by the doors that will be opened by what he calls the new space economy. Gone are the days of exclusively government-funded space exploration. In the new space economy, private companies are funding their own space ventures. And as they do, they're creating opportunities for new technology and development across industries. Just as the space race of the 1950s gave us the technology behind our cell phone cameras, heart rate monitors, dustbuster vacuums, and countless other breakthroughs, we are, again, looking to space to assuage our current fears and fulfill our new dreams. Space has long been seen as the ultimate high ground, and we understand that has a fairly dark military tinge to that statement. What's interesting about the 2019 space race is that the ultimate high ground can also help us gain perspectives as to predicting weather events, environmental information, crops, supply and demand of raw materials, ship positioning, illegal fishing, greenhouse gas emissions, observing the earth, helping to make our systems and our economy more efficient, helping to make communication more redundant and resilient, basically exploring space for the purpose of making earth better. Whether you're searching for restaurants in your neighborhood, sending a text message, or checking your weather app, we know all that information is brought to you by satellites. When it comes to satellite technology, it might seem like there's nowhere else to go. We've done it all. But even though the basic technology isn't new, the increasing access to it is. There are really only a couple thousand 
functioning satellites in orbit right now, we will, in the not too distant future, see many, many tens of thousands, maybe even many millions of individual satellites working to connect the world and working to make our economy more efficient, less wasteful, and more sustainable. Satellites are expected to one day drive the new space economy. But before we can benefit from tens of thousands of satellites orbiting the Earth, we first have to get them into space. And in the past, that was no easy task. Historically, it would cost hundreds of millions of dollars to launch a payload of several hundred kilograms into low Earth orbit. But through rocket reusability, that cost can come down by one order of magnitude into the tens of millions of dollars. There are certain technologies, including things like rail guns or really small launch vehicles, that are reported to get launch costs down into the single-digit millions. If you can get launch costs down, you can have more chances to access that real estate hundreds of miles above the Earth without having it all ride on one payload. One of the companies that has benefited from lower satellite launch costs is Planet Labs. They're an Earth imaging company with over 150 satellites currently capturing images of Earth from space. Their swarm of satellites would have been unheard of even a decade ago. So my name is Mike Safian, and I'm the VP of launch at Planet. Essentially, it's, it's my job to figure out which rockets we want to sign contracts with and send our satellites into space. And uh, we have very specific orbital requirements, and we have lots of satellites to launch. In 2011, Mike Safian was working his dream job at NASA. But when several of his co-workers decided to venture into the new space economy, Mike went with them. What if a startup could have the same access to the skies that was previously only available to national space programs? So he and the team at Planet set about starting their own satellite company. But rather than putting a few large satellites into orbit, the team at Planet had to think small in order to think big. When we started the company, we really wanted to keep things as simple as possible, including the design of the satellite. Satellites are getting smaller and smaller, so we can quickly build more satellites to replace them if we have any anomalies on orbit or we have some sort of launch failure and get on a different ride on a different rocket relatively quickly. There's no such thing as a risk-free rocket. So Planet launches new satellites into space every three to six months. As the company spreads their cargo across a wider variety of rockets, they're able to not only limit the risk of each launch, but recover quickly if something does go wrong. All of those satellites are taking photos of every square inch of Earth every single day. And of course, those photos provide invaluable data about what's going on here on Earth. This data can help project crop health and growth in more rural areas, or in cities with dense populations, it can assess transit infrastructure or new construction projects. And in the wake of natural disasters, it can even identify points of flooding, helping first responders act quickly and effectively. In order to have data about so many different industries, Companies like Planet have to think about how to strategically position their satellites. The best way we can achieve global coverage and and rapid revisit is, is how we space the satellites out in orbit. Planet calls the majority of their satellites doves. Collectively, the doves make up the flock. And as the Earth spins, this flock is flying overhead, capturing terabytes of data. So, for instance, the flock of doves, they are positioned 
if you imagine like a string of pearls going around the Earth, which operates kind of like a line scanner. So as the satellites are going around in this ring, the Earth is slowly rotating underneath, and we're scanning the Earth as it's going underneath, and we can sweep through the entire Earth's surface roughly every 24 hours. And you need a lot of satellites to be able to do that. You can't do that with just one or two. This may not sound new to anyone who has used an online map to explore the Earth's surface from the comfort of their home. But the images that are available online are rarely up to date. They can be months, even years old. Planets' images, on the other hand, are updated daily, providing a day-to-day progression of how the Earth is changing. So I like to think of it as like a a sensor suite for the planet. So the, the same way that we're wearing these on our wrists that monitor heart rates, or if we've been sitting down for too long, in the same way we can provide that real-time information for what's going on on the planet so that, again, we can take better care of our planet and make better decisions based on data that's delivered to you fast enough to do something about it. That delivery is a key part of Planet's business model. Planet analyzes and sells real-time data to customers who want the latest information on everything from the impact of forest fires to fish migratory patterns. And one of those customers is Global Fishing Watch, a nonprofit working to protect the world's oceans. About seven years ago, I realized that all these new satellites were going up and there's this huge opportunity to use that to monitor the um, world's resources for better. And it it turned out that the oceans was one of the areas that needed the most work and had some of the the most opportunity. This is David Krutzmer, an environmental data scientist who leads a team of researchers at Global Fishing Watch. Historically, people have had no idea what's happening in the open ocean. And suddenly we can track it in high resolution, and it's just an amazing step forward. Global Fishing Watch is using satellite imagery to help gather accurate data about the world's fisheries and prescribe preventive medicine for the Earth. They want to save areas of the ocean before they're threatened by either environmental change or illegal fishing activity. One of the key ways our data set has been used is to help decide where to put marine protected areas. Partners of ours have used Global Fishing Watch data to negotiate with governments to create marine protected areas that have a combined area larger than Egypt. And it's just super exciting. It's like we couldn't see before and now we can see. And this data not only protects areas from overfishing, it protects the economy of the ocean. For people like the Keynes, financial well-being is directly tied to the health of the seas. Nine years ago, when the Keynes were facing low prices for their top-notch albacore, they decided to sell their product directly to consumers under their brand, Sassy Seafood. Their slogan? From boat to belly. We visited Sassy Seafood at a farmer's market in Seabrook, Washington. Their stand is sandwiched between a driftwood art vendor and a taco truck. Local shoppers mill about until a prospective customer stops at the Sassy Seafood stall. This is all Wild Pacific surface albacore tuna, and we own and operate the vessels that harvest the fish that you'll find in these cans. And today we've got the lemon for you. On each can of Sassy Seafood, you'll find not only the names of the boats that harvested the albacore, but also the exact longitude and latitude of where the fish was caught in the Pacific Ocean. And you certainly won't find that type of transparency at your local grocery store. What makes us substantially different is that we are the ones that are getting this fish and we are the ones that are selling it. So we know from harvest to 
retailing at a farmer's market or shipping it to your mailbox, we are the ones that are in that process every step of the way. It takes one can and we will change your mind. Because of illegal fishing, there's plenty of cheap albacore flooding the market and driving down prices for fishermen like the canes. Sassy Seafood still found a way to stay afloat during hard times by creating their own brand. Not every small-scale commercial fishing family has the resources to do this. But now, satellite technology is starting to help. If boats can no longer slip through the cracks and catch fish illegally, those who do follow the rules only stand to benefit. So now let's just track the tuna boats. Where are they catching? Now we got a real good overhead view of where everybody's catching their fish. Bringing transparency to the oceans is important for small-scale fishermen. But that's just a sliver of what this satellite technology can do for the economy. Thanks to Planet's imagery and algorithms, farmers are now able to harvest larger yields and prevent expensive crop damage without having to manually inspect each plot of land. Insurance companies can better evaluate risks of projects to accurately price their premiums. And Planet is still looking for other ways to help people use this information. I think that there's a lot of different ways that this imagery, or not just the imagery, but the information derived from that imagery. So you don't necessarily need to see a picture of every ship that's in a certain port, but you can have an algorithm that automatically counts the ships in that port and then spits out a report every month on you know, economic indicators of, of this specific region. So that's information that was derived from satellite imagery, but you didn't necessarily have to stare at the pixels on the screen. This data can predict risks before they become financially damaging. It can help us understand how people are spending money today and then spread that spending to different markets. Instead of trying to predict the future by looking at the past, satellite data looks to the present to target financial needs in every industry, with the most accurate, most up-to-date information available about everything on the planet. I suspect in the mid-90s it would have been difficult to predict the iterations of disruption that the internet infrastructure brought, and I think it's every bit as difficult to predict, but yet every bit as relevant to ask the question of which industries could be disrupted when applied to space. When Adam thinks about the disruption that satellites could bring, he's not just thinking about the ripple effects on the economy, he's also thinking about the data economy. Right now, it's really a handful of companies that have access to all the data about what's going on in the world. But if smaller companies like Planet keep launching hundreds of satellites every year, they could outpace some of the big data players. That could lead to a shift in power away from some of the largest tech companies in the world to some of the smallest. Or, Adam says, the data landscape could undergo an even more fundamental change. There is potential for the new space economy to democratize access to information and communication. Of course, that depends on how Planet and players like them choose to use their newfound position. With this great amount of data comes great responsibility. Instead of using the new data to solely benefit Planet, Mike and his team want to share the knowledge they have with as many companies, researchers and organizations as possible. At Planet, we own the imagery data and we license it to our users. But one of the things that's really important to us as a company, one of our core values is that we don't operate on an exclusive basis. 
with any single entity. Our vision really is to democratize access to this information. And, you know, the same image can be used by a number of different users. And so there's so many different ways to use this imagery. We want as many people as possible to be able to have access to it. While Planet may say this information is available to everyone, they're not immune to the forces of capitalism. Like all companies, Planet needs to make money, especially considering their business model involves something as expensive and experimental as launching satellites into orbit. So Planet collects fees. It's not like anyone with a computer can just log in and look at every data set. But if you pay, you can access the information. Still, Mike and the team at Planet understand that the data they're collecting could benefit many people beyond the commercial economy. Planet has access to information that could revolutionize work being done by scientists, academics, and policymakers around the world. We at Planet very much believe that our job here is to use space to help life on Earth. We have a whole effort around working with education and research partners, and we're often giving them access to the data at, at greatly discounted rates, because again, we really want this data being used for good. If the data collected from thousands of satellites becomes available to everyone, we could start to see everything from our food system, to urban expansion, to education, to the planet's ecosystems change for the better. And much like the aftermath of the initial Apollo effect, there'd be a ripple effect across our planet that we might not even remember started in space. Someday, it might be hard to imagine a time when big data was relegated to a select few, when we couldn't look at every square inch of Earth in real time, when all we had was that one image of our lonely planet, the picture of Earth floating in space. I'm going to misquote President Kennedy but he, he made a statement, we, we choose, choose to, to go, go to, the, to moon. the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. This isn't about collecting moon water and moon rocks. It's about moving our species forward. It's about understanding our planet better and having that perspective from space to see our Earth in a new light and to see it as it truly is, its vulnerable self, and how fragile it is, and how alone it is. So kind of cautiously optimistic that, that can kind of awaken corporate, investor, even social awareness as to the importance of space for the world and for our economy. Thanks for listening to the Morgan Stanley Ideas podcast. You can listen to previous episodes at morganstanley.com slash ideas. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts. This is the last episode of this season. We'll be back with a new season soon. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. See you next time. <laughs>